Talks, a chat with Finance Malta, is the podcast series that gives you short, thoughtful and regular insights from leading experts of the financial services industry. I'm Vanessa MacDonald. Welcome. Welcome to another in the FinTalks podcast series of Finance Malta. I'm Vanessa MacDonald and with me today I have the CEO of Andaria, Nirav Patel. Nirav has been with the company since 2020 and what they do is embedded finance, something which until five years ago, I think, we hadn't even heard of. Perhaps that's a good place to start, Nirav. What is embedded finance? Sure. Uh, firstly, thank you for having me. It's a, it's a real pleasure to be on the podcast. Embedded finance, well, that, that, like you said, it's been, uh, it's been a whirlwind, to say the least, and, and we're very much at the tip of the iceberg. I think before kind of maybe giving you an overview of what embedded finance is, it's maybe interesting to start kind of how it's evolved. Um, so where it was before this is banking as a service or agency effectively, where a regulated institution provides an agency solution to a counterparty, typically within the financial space. Now, what we've seen over the last few years within the industry is that there's been a lack of control, be it from a risk perspective or be it from an AML standpoint, which has led to firms within this space either winding up or kind of having the regulator on their back saying that this solution is not quite as uh, robust from that standpoint as it should be. And that really gave rise to the first iteration of embedded finance. Now, the difference, if you like, between the two is when it comes to embedded finance, the regulated party does all of the heavy lifting from a financial services standpoint. It's predicated on technology, so therefore, you would typically integrate and typically into a non-financial institution, so kind of your regular businesses, but you would integrate via API and now that gives the ability for that business under its own brand to offer financial services. With Andara specifically, that would be payments accounts related um, and really the opportunity there is that you're not diluting the brand of our client, but you're effectively entering a pre-existing ecosystem and now turning what once would have been a cost into a revenue generator for our client base. Embedded payments within the embedded finance sphere, if you like, is a very small part of it. Embedded finance can be made up of kind of wealth tech, insure tech, um, uh, credit facilities. So there's a myriad of opportunities. Payments is a small subset, and we are very much just at the beginning of that journey. And when you talk about um, offering a service, is this customizable or is it something, you know, a, a one-size-fits-all kind of package? It's, it's probably a little bit of both, I'd say. So what we don't do is necessarily go out there and, and create bespoke for every single client because that becomes untenable. We're just too, too expensive. Too, in, yes. too intensive, too expensive, exactly. What we do do is have a baseline or a foundation. Now that foundation gives you enough to get you off the ground from an MVP standpoint. Um, and then what we can do is that last mile bit, if you like, just and really understanding what the client's needs are, that's where we really come into play. And we can tweak that last mile element to make it viable for the underlying business. It's still actually quite a growth industry. I, uh, I was reading that it's worth uh, some seven trillion globally or already, but obviously there's a, a lot further to go. There is. You know, pardon my ignorance, but is this something uh, that would obviously benefit e-commerce because one of the things you said in a member spotlight for finance more recently was the democratization of, of payments 
Absolutely, there, there is a real opportunity within that space. And let's take the d democratization of, of payments. Traditionally, this comes from where payments have been traditionally. It's been in the hands of the very few, so the correspondence banks of this world, and you probably would have heard me say this before. And really, they've been the ones that hold the flows of transactions. But as technology has iterated, it now gives financial technology companies like ourselves to integrate directly into the likes of SEPA and, and faster payments or any other countries that have a local clearinghouse. That now gives us the ability to provide very commercial rates to our downstream clients, which means they can now enter the market and offer that to their ecosystem. Hence the democratization. Exactly. So that yes. passing on of that streamlining of the cost, creating more efficiency, having less intermediaries in play means you've got more instant settlement, you've got just further clarity in the overall process. And I think that goes a long way, especially in an environment where kind of finance is has traditionally been seen as kind of run by the very few, this is now kind of broadening that scope so that everyone can see and utilize the services that are available. You mentioned the magic words, SEPA and the sort of cross-border payments and so on. Is that one of the reasons that you're in Malta? How has that affected you? Absolutely, so cross-border payments is, again, from a multi standpoint, our, our real angle is, is the SEPA direct clearing. Cross-border is a natural growth of our, our product line. But I think one of the, I guess one of the challenges within that space is kind of the utilization of Maltese IBANs throughout Europe. And that's something that we're working on internally as much as we can from a PR standpoint. Should, shouldn't that be automatic? I mean, we're part of SEPA. It, exactly. So by outright law, if you like, um, there shouldn't be any IBAN discrimination. But what we find is that clients from particular jurisdictions will not want to utilize Maltese IBANs and, and there's a couple of other IBANs that they'll have a similar scenario for. So we're working actively to ensure that the repute from a Maltese standpoint is growing, but it's something that needs to maybe be challenged on a, on a wider front. Very interesting point. Thank you for bringing it up. One of the, uh, the important points uh, about something like this is that it's basically very nimble and it's based on innovation as you said technology so anytime we talk about fintech it's almost out of date by the time the podcast is published how on earth do the regulatory frameworks keep up with that so, so i think there's an element of chicken and egg in this but i think it's also important that regulation is guided by innovation as opposed to the other way around because if you did it the other way around arguably you stifle innovation the challenge is really the Innovation is driven openly with the regulator so that any parties that are driving innovation are having an open discussion with the regulator. Number one, to ensure viability, but also to ensure that if the regulation doesn't quite cover it, that there can be movements and things that need to happen start happening at the regulator to ensure that deliverability. So I think that's, that's always the challenge, uh, the, the, chicken and, the chicken and egg situation. But I think open communication with the regulator is key. It's something that we do from a front foot perspective um, within Andaria. And it's something that I, I believe is the pure foundation of how you continue to have innovation within the industry. Yes, and of course you are registered both by the MFSA and the Financial Conduct Act. Uh, authority in the UK. So again, you're, you're dealing with two completely do different jurisdictions. One of the problems with any kind of innovation is that the 
you know, the, the crooks, if you like, the cyber criminals seem to always be one step ahead. Sure. So with something like this, how do you deal with cyber security? Because it must be, and, and even data protection, sure. because they must be two of the, the hottest it's problems. A, it's a challenge. It's a challenge. And you throw in being very early in our journey. So we are primed, if you like, to be one of those that the potential fraudsters will come after. And I think that's really having a very strong focus from a cybersecurity point of view. Um, we have an information security team in-house that work on daily, not only on internal controls, but how our external controls are set up. Uh, things like strong customer authentication to ensure that we are not only addressing kind of what we need to do from a regulation standpoint, but we're at the forefront of, of everything that's happening. So that's ensuring that we're attending kind of the latest event, ensuring we're on top of utilizing the new tools that are out there. It, it inevitably rolls into utilization of artificial intelligence, and that can be a double-edged sword, if you like. On one hand, fraudsters are utilizing it in various guises. However, from a regulated firm point of view, we can start utilizing AI in a similar vein to kind of counteract those And measures. of course, the EU is actually working on this actively to try and, and set up some kind of framework for it. And this so is it. That I think, and that's, that's the challenge ultimately, <clears throat> that AI can be a fantastic tool, but there needs to be an element of governance around it. If you leave that to the free market, arguably that, that can kind of blow out, out of complete proportion. So I think there's a fine line there. I think, it, again, it's another challenge that we'll continually need to fight and we'll need to be at the forefront of. I think at the same time, just to touch on your data point, I think that's something that we take very seriously from not only from a GDR, GDPR point of view, but from an ensuring that our, our clients and customers' data is secure um, and that we're not kind of holding on to anything that we don't need to. And there's that always that kind of framework that we'll always abide by. But again, we've set the foundations of that and we continually review that to ensure that we're at the forefront from a cybersecurity and data point of view. Let's go back to this whole idea of uh, embedded finance. We were talking a little bit about sort of clients and e-commerce and so on, but obviously there must be sectors that have not even dreamt about the potential of having these tools uh, and these platforms. What do you see as being the most exciting sectors going there, forward? There's a, there's a couple that come to mind from, from our point of view, and they're broadly... I'll call them memberships and mobility. Uh, memberships can be anything where there is, it can be typically community driven, it can be fan driven, so naturally anything that's in the sports space, but not only professional, but through every tier. So from kind of kids going to youth clubs through to professionals at all levels, there is now an ability to integrate embedded finance because there's a membership involved somewhere. You then take that to communities, so if there's expat communities um, within Malta, for example, they are typically driven by memberships of organisations, there is an opportunity there. And we are, again, very much at the tip of the iceberg there. Um, what we are doing is focusing on sports clubs because there is nothing more tribal than a fan. And why that is good for us, if you like, from an embedded finance standpoint, is the sports club is already on our client's client's phone, if you like. And if we're enhancing a product, enhancing a service, we're, we're giving them added value. And that just feels like a natural in from an embedded finance standpoint. Mobility, in a similar vein, anything that involves any form of transport, I mean, be it as benign as kind of a taxi service, 
to something as unique as what we've seen a growth in terms of delivery of food and, and that type of space. There is again an ecosystem of, of kind of drivers, the company itself, suppliers, and ultimately whenever wherever you have an ecosystem, there is an opportunity to embed. Our challenge is really around um, plugging the education gap. So what we don't do is naturally go out and kind of push a cell down anyone's throat, for want of a better phrase. So it's really about putting thought leadership out there, really educating the environment. So number one, that they understand not only the benefits, the pros and cons, because it's important that we always give a balanced view that it's not right for everyone and it's not a one size fits all, as we said. However, if you aren't aware of it, you will arguably never go down the route. So our challenge is really to educate, educate the room. Nirav, gosh, you've given us an awful lot to think about. Thank you so much for being on this podcast. I'm sure that uh, you're going to generate an awful lot of thinking out there. Thank you very much. That's all for today. Subscribe now to the FinTalks and follow Finance Malta on all social media platforms to stay updated with all our activities. Till the next podcast.